turn with me to John chapter 15, verse number 12. John chapter 15, verse number 12 this morning. Hallelujah. Jesus declares, this is my commandment. How many of you know Jesus commands us? You know, all know what a command is. I don't need to go over what a command is, do I? Jesus commands. It's a commandment. And God commands us to do something because he loves you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be enriched. He wants you to be with him for eternity. And so God is giving commandments. He doesn't give suggestions. He doesn't give, you know, uh, uh, do you like this? If you like it, do it. If you don't, that's okay. I love you. Jesus says many times throughout the word, it's a commandment to do it. If you love him, we will do it. It's not a command like, do it or else I'm going to beat you. It's a command to say, do it so I can bless you. I command you to do this because I want to bless you. I want to enrich your life. He says, this is my commandment. In other words, there's no, there's no way out. There's no escape. There's no like, but, if, and, or, or there. And so God says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Well, okay, Lord, yeah, we'll love one another. It's, yeah, okay. But Jesus says, this is how you are to love one another. Not just how you think love should be for one another. But, you know, it's easy to say love one another. And say, okay, I'll love them. You know, I'll do this, I'll do that, and whatever. And we put limitations on love. As human beings, we put limitations. But God says, this is how you are to love one another. This is my command on how you are to love one another. You're going to love one another just as I have loved you. And this is our focus today. As I have loved you. As Jesus has loved you, this is how you are to love one, how we are to love one another by looking at how has Jesus loved me? How does Jesus love me? And as I understand and see what Jesus did to love me and how he does love me, that is how I am to love my neighbor, my uh, one another. Just as I have loved you. When we're looking, we're looking uh, as the study goes, the journey to the cross, we're looking at the road that Jesus took to Calvary's cross. And as Jesus was, was born of a virgin and he was on the road to Calvary, we understand that Jesus came as a fulfillment uh, of Old Testament scriptures. There are the word of God, over two thirds of the word of God is prophecy, scriptures concerning Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came, when, when the time was fulfilled and Jesus came, he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies concerning him. Promises that God made that a savior, a Messiah, the anointed one, was to come to save, to redeem, to love, and to manifest the, 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 the glory and the power of God. But not only to fulfill scriptures, Jesus just didn't come to fulfill scriptures because it's one thing to come just to fulfill scripture, but it's another thing that by fulfilling the scriptures, something else was able to take place in your life and my life because Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. And that was 
that now God could fill your life because the fulfillment of scriptures in Christ and the Messiah and the anointed one came. Now God can fill your life and my life with praise, with faith, with hope, with love. Thank God that Jesus came to fulfill scriptures that he might fill me. Hallelujah. Do you understand that he came to fulfill scripture so that he could fill you? Do you understand he came for you? And that is why fulfillment of scriptures is personal. That he fulfilled it because he wants to fill your life. He didn't come to fill your neighbor's life and leave and forget about you. He didn't come to bypass you. You know, I'm going to only fill the even numbers or the odd numbers. Jesus came for everyone who would receive him. And Jesus said, I want to fill your life. And because Jesus fulfilled the promises and the scriptures concerning the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, he was now able, he is, is now able, was now able, is now able to fill our lives with his love. Thank you, Jesus. And as God loves us, he says, let this be a guide for loving one another. God wants us to receive the love of God for our lives. Receiving love can be a hard thing sometimes, but God wants us to receive the love of Christ in our lives. It's a transforming love. It's a love that has power to change us. It's a love that has power to heal us. It's a love that has power to do more than we can ever understand or comprehend. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When Jesus came, in part of fulfilling the scriptures, uh, he came in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Some says he set his face like flint to go. Meaning, he came, the time was fulfilled when he came that he knew that he had a mission. He had some, something to do, somewhere to go. And he said, it said that he steadfastly set himself to do what God had called him to do. How many of you know Jesus knew that God had called him to come to go to Calvary's cross. It wasn't no surprise. God didn't say, go in there and I'll tell you, uh, you know, go and, and get the next clue and, and I'll, I'll reveal from there. You know, like these, some of these uh, shows, reality shows, you got to go and get the next thing and then they tell you to, where to go from there. This isn't how it was with Jesus. Jesus knew the whole, the whole scenario. He knew that he was born to die. He, was knew, he knew that he was born to be crucified and buried and raised on the third day and ascend into heaven. But Jesus says, I have set in my heart, I've purposed to do God's will. Have we purposed to do God's will? Have we purposed to live for God no matter what is lays before us? You know, sometimes we, it's good to do God's will when people are praising you and patting you on the back. But what happens when persecution comes? What happens when you're facing hardships and hard things? Are you still going to purpose in your heart to serve Jesus and walk with him? Jesus knew. He purposed in his heart. You know, Jesus, you know, the Bible says, you know, God is a God who creates every, every creature with will, free will. 
That means choice. That means you have the freedom to choose to do or not to do. How many of you know that? The Bible, their angels have choices because some chose to serve Satan and some chose to stay be faithful to God. What about Jesus? Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane says, Father, not my will, but your will. Jesus had a choice. He's God, but he had a choice. And he said, Father, nevertheless, if this cup can pass me, let it go. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. We've got to learn from Jesus. Sometimes we've got to let go of what we want and able to do what God wants us to do. That's love. The Bible says, defer one to another for love. Out of love. Jesus said, Father, I love you enough to do what you've called me to do. I might not want to go through this. I might look for another way. But Lord, nevertheless, I love you more. Your love, your will be done in my life. And this is sometimes as we live life, as Jesus is saying, love one another. Sometimes what we want, we've got to just say, I'm just going to hold back on what I want or let my what I want go so that I can, I can love. So he set his face like he was committed to doing what God called him to do, to walk with God every day of his life. That's our choice, that we, God wants us to know the love he has for us, that we will walk with him every day of our life, no matter where the road leads. How many of you know sometimes the road does not leave to pro- lead to prosperity? There are sometimes the road leads to torture and death and mocking and persecution. Not every road leads to prosperity like some preachers tell you that if you come to Jesus, everything will go well, everything will, you will be rich, every, you will never know another uh, person, you will never know another, no. Look at the, look at the, look at Jesus, look at the apostles. Sometimes God is called, God, we believe God for provision, we believe God for this. But whatever the road, Paul says, whatever I find myself, I I am content in the Lord. Whether I am rich or whether I am poor, I am content in knowing my Savior and my Lord Jesus and walking with him, knowing that he's with me, whatever the road may be. Whatever the road may be. The Bible says that in, (coughs) in, in Luke 9, when he was walking, He knew the direction that led to his death, but he also knew that his death on that cross was going to open the door for you for eternal salvation. Hebrew says what? For the joy that was set before him, he endured what? He endured the cross. Jesus was not concerned about himself. He was concerned about you. He wanted to save you. He wanted to bring you into the knowledge of his love and provision and care. He wanted you to know that he would never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what you've done to him, no matter how you sin, God says, I want to come to you and forgive you and love you and bless you. 
and I want to walk with you throughout the days of your life. I want to be your shield. I want to be your protector. I want to be your shepherd and your guide. I want you to know my presence in your life, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus knew the cross was there, and he knew there was no pleasure there. He knew there was pain. We cannot begin to imagine the pain and the suffering that Jesus faced as he took on the sins of the world. But Jesus was willing to do it for you. And so a heart filled with love for his Father and for us, Jesus says, I will do it. I will go and lay down my life that they may live, that you may live. We can never forget how Jesus loved us, that he willingly went to face the pain and the suffering that we can never comprehend. But he willingly loved us enough to go to Calvary's cross and to lay down his life. He was determined to follow, to follow his father's will regardless of what the price is that was that he would have to pay. I'll follow Jesus as long as I'm, as long as I'm, I'll follow Jesus, but he's got to, I'll follow Jesus as long as he, does this for me I'll follow Jesus as long as uh, he gives me what I want I know people that left following Jesus because they said this is what I wanted and he never gave it to me I, I'm following Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus. Wherever the road leads, I have decided to follow Jesus. I know he's with me, no matter what. No matter what, he's with me. I believe him, he's a miracle working God. He's a great provider, he's a loving father, he's a great and awesome God. He does more than I could ask or imagine, but he's much wiser than me. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He knows all things. He knows the course of my life. And he's the one that, that sets me on that course. And the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a righteous man are not set out by you or me or any prophet of God, so-called prophet of God, telling you this is what's going to happen. No, God is the one who orders my steps. And as long as I'm in relationship with him, as long as I'm looking to the author and the finisher of my faith, as long as I'm listening to him and looking to him and, and in relationship with him, he will guide my path. And wherever he leads me and guides me, I will go. And I will go knowing he's anointed me and blessed me. He's with me. And Lord, Father, your will be done in my life. Hallelujah. And so Jesus arrived in the, in the city of Jerusalem and the streets were filled with the people from Galilee and, and all over, all around Judea. And they gathered there because it was the time of the year for the celebration of the Passover. We all remember that, the story in Exodus where God delivered his people. And he, 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 gave, he gave them the Passover lamb and they applied the blood to the doorpost of their home. And wherever the blood was applied, the spirit of death had to pass over. Is the blood of Jesus applied to your life, to the doorpost of your house, of your life? 
They didn't forget. They didn't forget the shed blood of the Passover lamb. We can never forget the shed blood of Christ for our life, for my life. We can never forget. And this was many, many years later that they were still in remembrance of what the Lord had done, of how the Lord had loved them and delivered them and take them, taken them out of a place of bondage, of slavery, a place of sure, certain death. But God, when their blood was applied, God did other things and brought them out because he loved them. If God didn't love them, he would have just let them be and they would have perished. But God said, apply the blood and I will deliver you. I will love you and take you and save you. And so they remember the shed blood of the Passover lamb. And it says that they were rejoicing and they were praising God because that when they remembered the blood, they were praising God. When we remember the blood of Christ shed for us, how can we not praise him? How can we not fill our lives and our, uh, our being with praise of God? That Lord, I will never forget that your blood saved me. Your blood saved me from certain death. Your blood does save me from, from eternal death. How many of you know about because of the shed blood, you have eternal life with Jesus Christ? You have eternal life with Jesus because his blood was shed for you. He loves you. It doesn't matter if you mess up. The blood is a covering over your life. As long as you, as long as you turn and call, call on the name of the Lord. And so they gathered. And it says that, that the, the, a few days earlier, not only were they remembering the Passover, but a few days earlier, they saw Jesus go over to Mary and Martha and and he, he went with them, and they were weeping, they were crying, they were brokenhearted because their brother Lazarus had died, and he was buried, he was entombed, he was in the grave. And Jesus went, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? Hallelujah. And you know the story, Lazarus, come forth in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. And the stone was, you know what happened? Lazarus came out and they to take those things off of him and everybody, not everybody, but God did a miracle. He did a miracle. How many of you know it was a miracle to raise Lazarus from the dead? He was dead. Everybody knew he was dead. There was no question mark. Was Lazarus still breathing? Was Lazarus, uh, was Lazarus on Facebook in here? Was he tweeting? Was he sending emails? No, Lazarus was dead. And Jesus says, come forth. And the people saw a miracle. But did everyone believe when they saw that miracle? No. But to those who saw and believed, they couldn't stop talking about it. They couldn't stop praising Jesus. You see, there are people who will understand who Jesus is. They were praising Jesus, not so much because they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, but they understood that this power that raised Lazarus from the dead was power that is only in God. And Jesus 
declared himself to be God. And they saw Jesus as Messiah, as anointed one, as the Savior. And so they were praising him, not because he was a miracle worker, but because he was the Son of God who worked miracles. There's a difference in saying, you're a miracle worker, and there's a difference between saying, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, and they praised him and they worshiped him because of who he was, who he is. Hallelujah. And so the streets were filled with praises that here comes the Messiah. They thought he was coming to take over and rule and reign, but he was coming to... to to make us something even greater than ruling an earthly kingdom. He was coming to set you and I free. He was coming to give eternal life to you and I. Yes, he will rule, he does, and he will rule and reign. But he come because what good is a rule and reign if you have no people that are... that. And so God is gathering for himself a people. When he comes again the second time, He will rule and reign with people, with the people he has redeemed, with you and I, those he has. God wants you to rule and reign with him in the coming kingdom, in the coming glory, in the millennial time. God wants you to rule and reign. God is gathering a people to say, come and live with me and rule and reign with me forever. And I've made a way for you. I've gone to the cross of Calvary so that you can live and not just live, but rule and reign with me. God says you will rule and reign. And so when he entered Jerusalem, the streets were filled with praises and they were shouting, you know what they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And that means there's a lot in that word, Hosanna, is both a cry for help and it's a praise for the Savior of the world. Hallelujah. And they were shouting, Hosanna. And many were praising him. Many were praising him. Many were, 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 were lifting their hands and shouting praises. But not everybody. Some were mocking. Some were looking with evil intent. Some... Some were, were, and so that's why when you praise God, it doesn't matter what others are doing as they look at you. It's not a show for them. We're not putting on a show for anyone. But when we praise God, we are praising Jesus for who he is and what he's done in my life and is doing in my life. We've got a purpose in our heart to praise God, no matter what, that he's my Savior and my Lord. There were those that were mocking him and mocking those that were praising him. And even today, people are mocked for lifting their hands, mocked for praising God. So-called Christians will mock you. That's all right. I will praise the Lord. And Jesus says, if they don't praise me, I'll make the rocks rise up and praise me. Jesus wants a people that are praising him because they understand the love he poured out for each one. When you know that Jesus shed his blood for you, that you may live, how can we not praise him? How can we 
put on something garments and go to the house of the Lord and say, I want to be dignified and not praise the Lord. Jesus said, if you won't praise me, if you won't praise me, I'll make the rocks praise me. The trees in the field will clap their hands. All of creation will praise me. God, God wants us to be a people who are not ashamed to praise him and declare him as Savior and Lord. That doesn't mean we run down the streets praising God like this. You can. But what I'm saying is when we come together as believers, when we are gathered together, how can we not praise God freely and openly? How? Yeah, we, we do it for sports and all kinds of other things. Why not for the Lord? Why not for Jesus? Hallelujah. And so many raise their hands and praise God. And there's some who just would not do it. Hallelujah. Because they knew that Jesus was the Savior of the world. And so Jesus, you know, there was a filling, there was an outward, there was an outward filling of praise from the people. Not everyone praised him, but there was but there were those that did praise him. And Jesus went into Jerusalem. You know the story. He went into the temple. In Matthew 21, 13, he went into the temple. And he says, this is my father's house. This is my father's house. And this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And Jesus got angry. Angry. Oh, you got angry. Oh, that's not of God to be angry. Well, there's a righteous anger that God said, this is my house. This, this is holy ground. This, this is a place of holiness. In my wife's church, her dad's church back in Roselle, they had holiness unto the Lord in the back over a big sign. And whenever you looked at the platform, you saw holiness unto the Lord. Making you think and know, I'm in the house of the Lord, the presence of God. This is not a place where I come chewing gum or chewing tobacco or bopping around with my pants hanging down. We had teenagers come into church and they were swinging doors. And some of them will come in like this, boom, their hat on sideways, chewing gum, looking around. My wife would say, throw that gum out, take your hat off, you're in the house of the Lord. These were gang members that she ministered to, and they respected her, they listened to her. But she had to be on top of them, because given their own, they would, they would walk into the house of the Lord with disregard and disrespect, thinking it's a clubhouse. Bang, here I am. I couldn't say that to them. They would fight with me. Who do you think you are? Yeah. 
but they wouldn't say it to her. They would fight for her. The whole gang would come, don't mess with Ruth Joy, because I'm serious, they would defend her. But me walking in, not knowing me, man, who are you? But what I'm saying is, Jesus walked in and says, this is my father's house. There, there, needs to be, there needs to be reverence here. There needs to be, there needs to be honesty here. There, need, there needs to be purity here. There needs to be reverence. And the Bible says, Jesus didn't say to them, well, look, guys, can you, I love you. Can you please? Uh, the Bible says he got a whip. Whoa. Can you picture Jesus with a whip? Overturning the tables. You think he was a little upset? Overturning their tables and driving them out with a whip. This is how much Jesus says, my house, Father's house, needs to be honored and respected. This is holy ground, and I will not allow this to take place in the house of the Lord. Too many times churches allow so much to go on in the sanctuary, in the house of the Lord, that is just disrespectful, distasteful, unholy to God. And Jesus drove them out. Now Jesus says, be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. But there's a time and a place for righteous anger when we must stand up for holiness and righteousness, for the things of God, for the sacred. We're not to tolerate sin and ungodliness. Now sinners are welcomed, don't get me wrong, sinners are welcomed in the house of the Lord that they can repent and be changed and transformed. But once a, a person is a believer and been received the blood of Christ and received the atonement and received the, the forgiveness and the life must change with God's help and power. Our lives must change. We can't just disrespect the house of the Lord anymore. And he drove them out. And the religious leaders got angry at Jesus. Jesus had a righteous anger because of the Father's house. Holy, righteous. But the religious leaders got angry, it says. But their anger was a different type of anger. Their anger was against everything that was right. They were angry that they could not continue in their sin. They were angry that they could not continue to take advantage of the people. They were angry that Jesus wanted to change their way of life. They were angry that Jesus was intruding on their power over the people. They were angry with a different type of anger. Their anger wasn't a righteous anger. Their anger was an unrighteous anger. Who do you think you are to tell us what to do and how to live? How do you think you are to say we've got to stop doing this stuff? 
and it says that their anger drove them to plot his murder, his demise. Their anger drove them to bring false accusations and their anger brought them to do all kinds of despicable things towards Jesus and those who call themselves followers of Jesus. There's a different type of anger. The anger that leads uh, to sin and hardness and there's an anger that leads that is a righteous anger that hates sin, hates people taking advantage of people, hates hates people abusing people. And this is what the religious leaders were doing, taking advantage of oppressing and abusing the people of God. And Jesus says, enough of this stuff. Get out of my father's house. This is a house of prayer where they can seek the face of God and be healed and delivered. You've made it a den of thieves. And their anger rose up against Jesus, the Bible says, and others. But Jesus walked into the temple to fill the temple with hope, with love, with salvation. not only was he fulfilling scriptures, but he wanted to fill people's lives with love. And when he walked into the temple, the house of the Lord, he wanted to fill it with love, with a new hope, with new life, with, with new desires, with, with new joy, with a whole new dimension that people never knew before. When all you know is somebody telling you you're just a worm and you got to do what we say and you got to pay what we say to pay and, and maybe God will love you. And Jesus says, no, God does love you. God will always love you. And I've come to declare it. And so Jesus was filling the temple and the places that he went with with love and he wanted to fill us with, with love also. But we need to be concerned with what takes place in the house of the Lord. We come in here to know the love of God. We come in here to love on one another, not take advantage of one another. We've come to encourage one another, to build each other up. This is not a place where we tear each other apart. We don't come here to say, I don't like your hairdo. I don't like the color of your suit or of your dress. I don't like, who do you think you are? This is not a place where we come together to lift up Jesus and to know that his blood has saved me, has saved you. That God wants to work in me as much as he wants to work in you. And God's love is not a respecter of person. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. God says, I love you and I want to give you beauty for ashes. I want to make you somebody. I'm the glory and I'm the lifter of your head. I've come to give you hope. I've come to let you know my love and my peace and my joy. And the religious leaders that got angry at him in a bad way were always trying to twist his words, always trying to catch him, always trying, you can't, you can't catch God. And, and But they were wise in their own eyes. They thought, ah, we're slick enough, we're sly enough, we're con artist enough, we can get him, we can, we can, we, we can make him slip up here. How many of you know it didn't work? Not one time. God is greater than any conniver, every, any schemer. You can't connive your way into the kingdom. You can't scheme your way into the kingdom. You can't talk your way into the kingdom. Jesus said there's only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
So when they were trying to catch him in his words, he said, basically, who am I? What does the scripture say about the Christ and the Messiah? Who am I? And they couldn't answer. And then just before Jesus was having the Last Supper, you know the story. The Bible says Satan entered Judas Iscariot, filling the disciples' head with lies, getting him to betray Jesus. The mind, our thoughts, is where the enemy can attack, tries to attack you. To make you think something distorted about Jesus twister of the truth, omitter of the word. And we've got to be careful that we understand that this is the word of God. This is what God has given me. Jesus is the word of God. The more I know this, the less the devil has a chance of deceiving me. If I don't know this, a lot of things that sound good might say, yeah, that, sound, that sounds right. That sounds good, but it's a deception, and it's a lie that leads us down a wrong pathway, and the end is not good. But when we take God's word to heart, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, O Lord. Jesus, you are the light of the world, and God's word will make you free, will set you free. And this is what Jesus wanted to do, is still desirous to do, to set people free. His love manifests on Calvary, the shed blood, the broken body, the shed blood, declares, I've come to set you free. Jesus read it from Isaiah, I've come to set the captives free. Even those religious leaders, Jesus would have set them free from their religiosity, from their anger, from their ungodliness, but they refused. But to everyone who received him, Jesus made us new creations, new creatures in him. And so we can't listen to the lies of the enemy or the people around our lives. Peer pressure is a hard thing, whether you're young or old. Age really doesn't matter. Although in the teenage years, or certain years that it's more, it seems like it's more powerful, but there's peer pressure even when you're older. How many of you know that? Like you said, there's pastors. Say it can't believe everything that's in the Bible. We've got to be progressive. And they, they put pressure on other pastors saying, you know, if you want your church to grow, if you want, if you want to do that, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And there's pressure, there's pressure putting on pastors. There's pressure putting on teenagers. There's pressure putting on, well, if you want to get promoted in your job, you know, you've got to you got to think like we think, and do like we do, and no, you don't. 
when they were at the Last Supper, Jesus, he knew where he was going and what he was going to do. Lay down his life, shed his blood. But even before that, he got down on his knees and he got a washtub and he washed his disciples' feet. And one of them says, no, you don't wash my feet. I'm not worthy. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, I can't wash the rest of you. Jesus humbled himself, loved us so much that he showed us how he loved us enough to wash our dirty feet. We've walked through a lot of dirt stuff in our lives that got our feet dirty. I know my pathway before Christ. I walked in a lot of filthy places and my feet were filthy, 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 covered with sin, covered with all kinds of stuff. But Jesus loved me enough to not only wash my feet, but to wash me totally and completely in his blood and forgive me. For that, I will always be indebted to praise him. For that, I will always live for the Lord my God. And so this is the love that Jesus showed. No matter where you've walked, no matter where you, I love you enough that I will cleanse you if you allow me to. If you allow me to. He knelt at their feet. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying that the way I have loved you, consider love one another that way. Jesus came to fulfill scriptures in order that he may fulfill our lives with the fullness of his love and mercy and joy. So when we remember that Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Thank God he came to fulfill scriptures, but thank God that through those fulfilled scriptures, he's able to fill my life with his love and his mercy and his grace and his Holy Spirit. And as we live life in Christ, we've got to understand that when we come together, we come together not as a clubhouse, but as a people who've been washed in the blood of Christ, a people who come to praise him and worship him and desire the living word of God, that it will change us and transform us. I want God's word to challenge me in my life. I want God's word to show me in my life what, how I can change, how I can be more like Christ. I'm not afraid of the challenges. I desire the challenges of God's word to my life. Many people will get the challenge or conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn, he convicts. And the conviction is to change and be transformed. And many people run from that, run from that. And churches become clubhouses and gatherings of, of little cliques and little this. And that's not what church is to be. God wants us to have fellowship, but a fellowship that is done out of knowing 
The love of Christ, the shed blood has redeemed me. I'm a new creature. I want to come into the house to praise him. I want to come into the house to bring testimonies of praise of who the wonders of his love. I've come to sing praise, to worship before him, and more importantly, because you can praise and worship God all you want, but if you don't take his word to heart, how do we praise and worship God? When we take this word of God and say, Lord, this is the most precious thing that I live for. Your word is so wonderful. Your word is so filled with promises and blessings. Your word is so powerful to change my life. How many of you know there's power in God's word to transform you? There's power in his love that makes you a new creation. Lord, I want the power of your wonderful word at work in my life because out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. And Lord, you gave me a new heart to be filled, to be a storehouse, a treasure house of your word. And I want your word, Lord, to be a fire burning within me, Lord, a fire that will show me, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I want to be like Jesus, Lord. I want to be the person you've called me to be. And when we do that, we, could, we become to get reverent before God in all things. We come to praise him and to worship him and to say, oh, isn't God's word so wonderful? I just can't get enough of the word of God in my life. That's why I come to the house of God. Hallelujah. And so let the love of God change your life in such a way that We don't, do, we don't live just to do works. We live to love God. And out of that love comes things that we desire to do for the glory of God. But we desire to do it with a reverence and a holiness unto the Lord. But with a joy and with a gladness. Hallelujah. 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 God says, I want a people to serve me with joy and with gladness. This is what the Lord's word says. Serve me with joy and with gladness. Why? Because I know the love that Jesus has loved me with. And that only engenders joy and gladness in my life. That's all it brings forth. Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning as we end today's service. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I want to just take, just take a moment right now. And I just want you to just thank the Lord. That for, for the love that he's bestowed on you, the, the love that he's, he's poured out for you. Make it personal. Make it personal. Just don't look at me. Just make it personal. And if you want to, just close your eyes and just say, just say thank you, Lord, that, that you loved me enough to go to Calvary's cross. Lord, that you opened a way for me to come into your very presence, to be born again to be a child of God, that I may come to know the wonders of your love for me. And let your love, Lord God, cause me, Lord, to, to praise you and worship you and make me, whatever, just say it in your own words. But just, just take a minute and just talk to God and just tell him, just thank him for the love that he has loved you with and that he continues to love you with.